way it is that there's a lot of saviors, but Jesus is not just one savior among many. He is the savior, the one and the only savior. Jesus is the savior, but not only is he the savior, but he has to be your savior. He has to be your personal savior and your personal Lord, and you have to make him your savior. So the lamb was was chosen, and then the lamb was to be inspected. The lamb was to be, the Bible says, without a blemish. It was to have total perfection and purity. There couldn't be a sore, there couldn't be a sickness, there couldn't be a scratch, There couldn't be a mark on that lamb whatsoever, but it was inspected and it had to be a lamb that was perfect. The lamb speaks, the perfect lamb speaks, of course, of the Lord Jesus because he was the perfect Savior, the sinless, the spotless lamb of God. Amen. No sin whatsoever in his life. So it's a perfect picture of the Lord. The lamb was then to be slain, as I said, and the blood applied to the doorposts of the house and across the top of the door, forming a cross, so to speak, across the top and down the sides. And the family was then, after the blood had been applied to the house, the family was then to go inside the house where the blood was and not to go outside. They were to stay inside the house and when the death angel passed through the land, the land, then only those homes, only those homes that had the blood applied to their house would be protected from the wrath. The blood had to be applied. They were safe as long as they were inside under the blood and covered by the blood. Come on, somebody. The only shelter, ladies and gentlemen, the only salvation from wrath that's coming and is going to come on this earth one day, the wrath of God and the only salvation, the only protection and the only shelter that's made available to us today for protection and deliverance from that wrath is the blood of the Lamb, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Peter said that we are not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold but we are redeemed by the precious and with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. John said in Revelation 1 and 5 that Jesus loved us and has washed us from our sins in his own blood. So the blood is the only protection, the blood of the lamb, the blood of Jesus. That lamb then had to be eaten. They came into the house and they roasted the lamb and they had a feast there that evening. And uh, it wasn't enough just to simply select the lamb and just to kill the lamb. The lamb had to be eaten. The lamb had to be appropriated by the individual. And that points to the fact that the death of Jesus on the cross is important and it's very important, but yet it's meaningless to you as an individual unless you receive and partake by faith of what Jesus did on the cross. I know there are some people that, that believe that just because Jesus died for the sins of the world that 
everybody is automatically forgiven and everybody is automatically saved. And there's a teaching that, you know, that's going around of universalism, that the whole world is going to be saved. Even the devil himself is going to be saved. But, you know, that's not true. Amen? The, the sacrifice that Jesus made, yes, he did atone for the sins of the whole world. Thank God for that. But each individual has to appropriate the lamb and what he did at Calvary by faith. There has to be a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I can't get to heaven on your relationship. You can't get to heaven on my relationship. My kids can't get to heaven on my relationship. Everybody has to have that personal acceptance and receiving of the Lord Jesus Christ. You must partake of the Lamb yourself and make Him a part of your life and apply the blood by faith to your life. Listen, there is no salvation and there is no forgiveness and there is no remission of sin apart from the blood of Jesus and what He did for us at the cross of Calvary. That is the only way that anyone can be saved. Amen. Jesus is not just a way or a lamb. As I said, he is the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. It amazes me when, when, um, and first of all, I don't understand why a minister of the gospel, a preacher, um, would even want to go on some of these talk shows. But they always, emphatically, they always ask them, you know, is do you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven? And they heme haw around about it, you know. And well, you know, I'm not the judge. Blah blah blah. Listen, I, I'm not the judge either. But Jesus has already laid it down and said it in the Word of God. There's only one way to go to heaven and be saved and have your sins washed away and it's only through the blood of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? I know there's a lot of churches and a lot of preachers today that are not preaching salvation through the blood. They're not preaching the, the finished work of Christ at the cross but I think I'll just stick with the blood. Amen? I think I'll just keep preaching the cross. How about that. I think that I'll just keep preaching the blood of Jesus Christ because listen ladies and gentlemen there is forgiveness in the blood there is victory in the blood there is healing in the blood there is salvation in the blood there is victory and deliverance and power wonder working power in the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ hallelujah Praise God. What can wash away my sin? Nothing. I said nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Ladies and gentlemen, it's still nothing but the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. It's by his blood. So we have to apply what he did to our life. We have to 
partake of the lamb. That's what Jesus meant when he told those, those folks there in John chapter 6, except you eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of Man, you have no life in you. And they didn't understand that. They thought he was talking about just cannibalism. They, did, they were all confused. But they should have understood what he was saying. And this is what he was saying. Just as you ate that roast lamb in Egypt to be delivered from the powers of the Egyptians and from the power of Pharaoh. You must eat and partake. You must spiritually partake of what I'm going to do at the cross of Calvary. You must partake and receive the benefits and partake of me and have faith in me. That's what Jesus was saying. Have faith in what I'm going to do for you when I go to the cross. That's what Jesus was saying. That is where our faith lies today. That is where our faith must be today. It's not faith in a church. It's not faith in a denomination. It's not faith in a creed. It's faith in what Jesus Christ has done for us at Calvary's cross. Here's the Lamb of God that has come to take away the sin of the world. Amen. So Jesus sends two of his disciples to town to find the place where they should prepare the supper. They would have probably, those two disciples, probably when they go into the city of Jerusalem, no doubt probably went to the temple to purchase a, an approved lamb that, and, and had that lamb sacrificed according to the law. And uh, they were to make preparations for the supper. Jesus said here, told them to follow the man. When they got into town, there'd be a man carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. And he, where, where he goes, the house he goes in, go in there. Inquire the good men of the house. He'll show you a great, a big upper room that is furnished and ready. And that's where I will eat the Passover with you. So the disciples go. They find the man, just as Jesus said. They go in. They find the upper room, just as Jesus said. They made ready and they made the preparations ready for the Passover over meal for the feast. Amen. And so then they're sitting there. They, they're having the meal. They're eating of the lamb. They're sitting there uh, around the table. And Jesus announces something. He drops, Jesus drops a bombshell right in the middle of this Passover feast. And he announces to them that that's one of them is going to betray him. He brings out a problem that there is there in that room with one of those disciples. That one of them is going to betray them. And immediately the Bible said that they are all astonished and they begin to ask him, Lord, is it, is it me? Is it me, Lord? Is it me? And uh, what Jesus is doing here is making a final appeal. And, and I want you to get this this morning. It's, this is, this is a, a perfect picture of the mercy and the grace of the Lord. Because Judas was the one Judas had made, already made the deal, cut the deal with the chief priests to sell out the Lord and to betray him for 30 pieces of silver. He was hiding it, you know, from everybody. Nobody knew what, I mean, Judas had a pretty good cover-up. Nobody knew that he was planning on betraying the Lord. But 
but Jesus knew exactly what, Jesus, what Judas was planning on doing. So Jesus is reaching out to here to Judas and making an appeal to Judas and reaching out to him one final time. Jesus here is giving a call to Judas to turn from this wicked plan and he's giving Judas right here at this last supper, Jesus is giving him an opportunity to repent and to confess and to ask for forgiveness. All Judas has to do is to renounce his sin and say, Lord, you know, everybody's asking, it's I, is it I, is it I? They didn't really know, they didn't trust their self. Which one of us is gonna do it? And all Judas had to do was said, Lord, it's me, and fallen upon the mercy of Jesus and repented of his sin and not done what he had planned to do. Jesus would have forgiven him. He would have been forgiven had he done that. Jesus would have still gone to the cross and Jesus would have been forgiven and, Jesus, and, and Judas would have been taken to heaven. But Judas refused the offer and he went ahead with his plan to betray the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus said here in verse 21, he said, the Son of Man indeed goes as it's written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Good were it for that man if he had never been born. You know what Jesus is saying? He's making that appeal to Judas. Don't do what you're planning on doing. It would be better if you'd never been born than to go through with this plot to betray the Son of Man. Let me tell you something today, ladies and gentlemen. To die without Jesus Christ, to die in a lost condition is a tragedy that is greater than anybody can comprehend. It it would be better for you never to have been born than to die in a lost condition not knowing Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you something. I think we all realize this today, but we need to be reminded of it that on the other side of death, there is a door of death that leads into eternity. On the other side of death, every one of us is going to live eternally forever and forever somewhere, either in heaven and hell. There's no in between place, there's only heaven and there's hell. And only those who know Jesus Christ that have been born again, that have accepted him as their Lord and Savior are going to heaven. But on the other side of that door of death, for those who are lost without God, there awaits an eternal loss of a soul in the fires of a place called hell. Hell is a place, it's a real place. It's a place, ladies and gentlemen, that no one wants to go to. And that's what Jesus was doing here. He was reaching out to Judas to stop him from going to hell. He was reaching out to him to stop him and to turn him around and to get him to repent and not to go to that place called hell. Can I tell you something that Jesus is doing today? He's still reaching out today. He's reaching out to every lost soul, everyone who doesn't know the Lord. He has done 
done everything that is possible to prevent anyone from going to hell. I've got good news. Hell's not good news. That place of eternal torment and hell is a real place and it's a Bible truth. But that's not good news. You know what the good news is? The good news is that nobody has to go to that place because Jesus has already paid the price and he's wooing everyone to come to him. Hallelujah and be saved and be forgiven and be set free. You hear people all the time, you know, say, well, if God really was such a loving God as you proclaim him to be, why does he send people to hell? Listen, God never sent anybody to hell. We send ourselves. Anybody that goes to hell goes on their own accord. They have to trample underfoot the blood of Jesus. They have to break down and run through every roadblock that God has set up uh, in their way to prevent them to go to hell. Let me tell you something, folks. You know this. There is a remedy today for the sin sick soul and that's what Jesus was doing here he was telling Judas you don't have to go through with this you you I'm making an appeal to you to make things right and Jesus is making an appeal today thank God he died for you he died for me he rose again and we must believe in what he has done hallelujah then we can be saved today by the blood of Jesus Christ amen Hallelujah. So they prepared the meal. Jesus brings up a problem with one of the disciples. He makes an appeal to Judas, but Judas rejects that appeal. It's his last opportunity, and he rejects that appeal. Everybody will have their last opportunity to accept or reject the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, that Judas would have accepted it and made Jesus his Lord that day and ask for forgiveness. But then Jesus uses the occasion of this Passover to institute the new covenant. Jesus is going to turn this Passover meal into what we're going to do this morning. He's changing it now into the communion, the last supper, the Lord's supper that we're going to take here this morning. He uses this occasion of the Passover and institutes a new covenant to teach us what the new covenant is all about. And he uses these symbols to paint a picture and to illustrate what he's about to do, what he's going to do at the cross. And there at that supper table, as they're sitting around eating, Jesus takes bread First of all, it was unleavened bread because it represented his sinless, pure body. There was no, nothing that tainted him. It was unleavened bread. And Jesus takes the bread and presents the bread as his body. The Bible says that he took the bread and he broke the bread and he passed it around to those men at the table. There was a traditional Jewish statement that was usually made at the, at the, Passover, at the Passover meals when the, when the father would break the bread and pass it out to the family. He would say, Praised be thou, O Lord, sovereign of the world, who causes bread to come forth from the earth. 
But on this day, Jesus adds a brand new meaning to what that bread is. Hallelujah. On this day, as he breaks the bread and gives it to his disciples, he says to them, take and eat, for this is my body. This is my body. See, 33 years earlier in Bethlehem, Bethlehem means the house of bread. In Bethlehem, the house of bread, the bread of life took on a human body when he was born in that manger that night. This man, Jesus, lived in that body for 33 and a half years. He preached in that body. He worked miracles in that body. He would die in that body and be buried in that body. But three days later, he would raise from the dead and come out of the grave in that body and ascend to heaven and sit down at the right hand of Almighty God in that body. And when you see him in glory, he'll be in that body. And one of these days, the sky's gonna split open and he's coming back to this earth again in that very same body. Take this is my body. Hallelujah. Praise God. It's my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Paul said it this way. The scriptures that we always read when we partake of communion from 1 Corinthians 11 and 23. Paul said, For I have received the Lord that which also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus the same night in which he was betrayed took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. Jesus was on his way to the cross. He was getting ready to be crucified. He was on his way to the cross where his body would be broken. Not a bone broken, but his body beaten and broken for us, for our salvation. Isaiah talks about it and prophesies it in Isaiah 53 when he said, Surely, speaking of the Messiah, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. Hallelujah. Somebody said, well, does that mean spiritual healing or physical healing? It means all healing. Well, with his wounds, with his shed blood, with the beating of his body, with what he did at the cross, we are healed spiritually. We are healed physically. We are healed emotionally. We are healed mentally. Everything, everything that we, that needs healing in your life, he paid the price on the cross for that healing. Amen? It was broken for you and he said take and eat this bread. Again we must receive what he did at the cross. We must internalize his finished work. We must put an active faith today in what he did. When we receive these communion elements, the symbols of the body and the blood of Jesus, we're we're not just, you know, it is just a wafer and it is juice, but we must understand and have a full understanding of what that symbolizes and what it represents. And that's why I think that a 
communion time is a, is a big deal because we got to get our mind focused on the cross and what Jesus did and what this meal means to us. It's, it's internalizing what Jesus has done at the cross. No, this wafer does not become the the actual flesh of Jesus. That juice does not become the actual blood of Jesus. That's not taught anywhere in the scripture, but it does represent what Jesus did at Calvary for you and for me. So we must internalize his finished work as we partake. See, that's that's partaking unworthily doesn't as much have to do with as partaking with sin in your life as it does partaking just not recognizing and realizing what it stands for and what it means and what it represents and what he did for you at Calvary to internalize that, take and eat. This is my body that is broken for you. And then he takes the cup and he adds a new meaning to that juice. And he gave them the cup and he said to them, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. So now he equates the juice, and some would say wine, but the Scripture always refers to the the drink at the Last Supper as the fruit of the vine. It's quiet in here this morning. I believe we we use grape juice to represent the blood of Jesus. Some use, some churches use real intoxicating wine, which I don't believe is an is a accurate symbol of the blood of Jesus. How could it be? Because wine that has been fermented is contaminated. It's corrupted. Come on, somebody. Looking at me funny this morning. Amen. But it's true. That's true. It's just like the bread is unleavened because leaven represents sin and there was no sin in his body. So the fruit of the vine, the the wine, if you want to call it that, was not fermented. It was the pure juice of the vine because there was no corruption and there was no sin in the precious blood of Jesus. It was pure and clean and holy. That's why the blood could atone for your sin because it was never tainted by the sin of humanity or of mankind. There's something special about the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. But he said this juice, it gives new meaning to the juice. He said this is my blood of the New Testament which is shed for many. And so he equates the juice to his own blood that would be shed on the cross. The fruit of the vine, the juice of the grape was produced through violence. Because grapes, how do you get the juice out of the grapes? You have to squeeze them. And the way they did it there, they would put them in wine vats and some folks would get in there barefooted and stomp on them, you know, and crush them. They were trodden underfoot to, and through violence, the juice was extracted, was extracted from 
from the grapes under the feet of people. And that's what was getting ready to happen to the Lord Jesus. He was about to be crushed because religious Israel and the mighty Roman Empire was going to combine forces to put him to death. They were going to put him on a cross. They were go- he was going to suffer uh, the violence, a violence that no one had ever suffered on the cross through crucifixion. When Jesus was crushed on that cross, his precious blood was shed. When the blood was shed and Jesus died, there's something that took place, ladies and gentlemen, that we need to understand today. When he breathed his last, when he gave up the ghost, when he said, it is finished, and the blood was draining from his body, hallelujah, and he breathed his last, the Bible said that there in that temple, there was two big invisible hands that grabbed that veil of the temple that it took four yoke of oxen to pull apart and that that veil was torn apart. It was rent from the top to the bottom. It was some 60 feet high. It wasn't rent from the bottom to the top but from the top to the bottom it was torn in two. Opening up the holy of holies. Saying that it is done. It is finished. Redemption plan is done. The blood has been shed. Now everyone that accepts the sacrifice can come into the holy place hallelujah no one's excluded no one's left out thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ oh hallelujah he paid the sin debt and atoned for every sin and now anyone and everyone that places their faith in Christ have all their sin all their sins all their sins washed away They're instantly brought into right relationship with Almighty God, clothed with the very spotless righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that is what we commemorate today and every time we take the cup of communion. There is no salvation in eating this wafer and drinking this juice, but there is salvation healing, deliverance, freedom, and victory in what it represents and what Jesus did. The benefits are still ours today. Hallelujah. We remember Jesus took our place upon the cross. He died for me, died for you. My sins are washed away. That's why it just, you want to get on my bad side. Just start talking about somebody and what they used to be or what they used to do or have, and they're saved now. You don't bring it. Those sins, as far as God's concerned, they don't exist anymore. That's how how pure and clean the blood of Jesus washes us, that those sins are completely and totally gone and they don't exist. It's as if we had never sinned. Hallelujah, that's enough to make an Egyptian mummy get up and shout a little bit. Amen? Or a Presbyterian or an Episcopalian, if they get a hold of that, they'd shout. This cup is the cup of blessing. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 16, he said, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? As believers in fellowship with the Lord, we take this bread and this cup. It's a cup of blessing. Amen. We take it with joy. Yes, there is 
a time of, exa- of examination where we examine ourselves as we take it. And does it mean to examine yourself and then not to take it? No, it means to examine yourself. And if there's something the Lord points out to you, ask His forgiveness. And He forgives you right then and there. That's what we're doing, appropriating the power of the blood of Jesus in our life. So that should be a time of joyfulness when we remember what the Lord has done for us at Calvary. But it should also be a time of expectation. Notice what Jesus said. and we're, we're, We're closing. Jesus said in verse 25, Verily I say to you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until that day that I drink it new in the kingdom of God. What's he saying there? Jesus is looking ahead to the day that he returns. He said, I'm not going to drink. This will be the last time I drink this fruit of the vine until we drink it together and I drink it with you new in the kingdom of God. He's looking ahead to the day that he returns and defeats his enemies and rules the world in righteousness. See, Jesus went to the cross with the expectation that he would rise again. The the resurrection was never in question. The resurrection was never in doubt. I know we have some preachers that preach things such as Jesus is down in hell and the demon spirits are wrapping him up and holding him back and trying to keep him from rising again. And then God speaks from heaven and he's Jesus is born again in hell and all of that all of that might make for some for some fancy preaching but the fact is there's nothing biblical about any of that amen it's just not taught in the word of God I'm going to tell you something right now the devil never wanted any part of Jesus demon spirits never wanted any part of Jesus when he bowed his head and said it is finished that blood right there it was at the cross that he spoiled principalities disarmed them made a show of them openly and triumphed over them praise God it was at that cross when his heel was bruised by Satan that Jesus Jesus bruised the head of Satan and defeated him totally and completely. I'm telling you when that sin debt was paid, ladies and gentlemen, the power and the authority that Satan has over your life is over, it's over, it's over, it's broken by the blood of Jesus Christ. But what if he'd have never rose from the dead? If he would have never rose from the dead, he would have been an imposter. What he said was, would have not been true. But he did rise from the dead. and It was never in question. Jesus never one time insinuated that it might be possible for him not to rise. He never said, y'all better be praying now. I'm going to die. Pray that I get up out of that grave. No, he said, I'm going to lay my life down and I'm going to take it up again. And I've received this promise from my father. That is a fact. Jesus went to the cross with the expectation that he would go back to heaven, that he, would, that he would rise again, go back to heaven, and return to earth in all power and glory to rule and reign again. So when we take this cup today, we do it with expectation, ladies and gentlemen, that Jesus is coming back again. That also is something that this supper points to. He's coming back again. And it's going to happen very, very soon. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. Can I get an amen? Jesus is coming again. Hallelujah. And this supper points to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ.
Paul said it in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death until he comes. So we're remembering and commemorating what he did at the cross. His death, burial, resurrection, and his soon coming back to this earth again. He's coming back again. Amen. So this morning, as we partake of the emblems of the Lord's Supper, I want us to be grateful. I want us to be thankful. I want us to worship Him. This is a, it's, it's a time, the Lord's Supper is a time of sincere worship today as we receive this communion and place our faith afresh and anew in what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Hallelujah. Would you bow your heads? Father, we thank you today. Oh, so much for what Jesus has done for us at Calvary. I'm asking you this morning, Lord, touch our hearts, make us fully aware of the blessings and the benefits of the cross in our life. I pray today, Father, if there is anyone in this service, in this building, that has not made Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior, that you would give them an appeal today to come to you that you would touch their hearts today, that they would ask you to come into their lives, to forgive them of their sins, that they would make you their Lord and their Savior. Lord, do a work here in all of our lives today. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen and amen. Hallelujah. Before we have you to come, and we're going to have you just to come, This morning, instead of passing out the trays, we're just going to have everyone to come and take one of the cups, pre-made cups, and then return to your seat, and we will all partake together, okay? But if you're here today and you haven't made Christ Jesus your Lord and Savior, don't leave this service today without asking Jesus to come into your heart and life. It's just as simple as ABC. It's admitting that you're a sinner and you need a Savior. You can't save yourself. Amen. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It's just admitting that, Lord, I've sinned against you and I need you to save me. And then B, it's believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, believing in what He did at the cross, believing that He died for you so that you could have eternal life. And then C is confessing Him as your Lord and Savior. Asking Him to forgive you of your sins. And then saying, Lord Jesus, I confess you as the Lord and make you the Lord of my life. Paul said in Romans 10, Romans 10, that if you will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, with the heart man believes to righteousness and with the mouth confessions made to salvation. So do that today. If you have not made Jesus your Lord and Savior, do that today. Amen. All right, I'm going to ask you to stand this morning and uh, come. And Brother Hank, I think, is going to distribute the communion elements to the platform. And then 
We're going to have you just come and pick you up a cup. Go back to your seat, and then we'll read some scripture and pray, okay? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise God. The little cellophane on the top pulls back and will reveal your, your bread. Has everybody received your cup, been served? Praise God. Thank you, Father, for this time of worship as we receive the Lord's Supper. We recognize today what these, what these elements represent, what they mean to us. And we thank you, Jesus. We do this in remembrance of you, what you did 2,000 years ago when you gave your life for us that we can be saved. Thank you, Lord. And we receive the benefits of what you did, placing our faith totally in you today and the finished work of the cross. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Paul said this, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, Take and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Would you partake of the bread? We thank you, Father. Jesus, thank you. After the same manner, also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do you as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as oft as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Would you receive the juice? Now just thank him today. Worship him. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for the precious blood. Thank you for the sacrifice. 
that you have made for us, your people. We worship you today. Thank you, Lord, that we're children of Almighty God. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. We're going to sing. Praise the Lord. Rejoice, my people. Rejoice in that which has been accomplished for you, that which I have provided for you. Rejoice in the blessings and the benefits that are yours today that you have received through the Lord Jesus Christ. Give the Lord your praise today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Rejoice, be joyful. It's a cup of blessing. It's a cup of blessing today. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Well, let's sing a song and rejoice in the Lord today for what He has done for you and I.